feel like the best thing is just being an individual and being yourself and embracing that. And you really then are your best poster child because you're, if you're creating work that is inherently you, you're going to display it the best. Hi friends. You're listening to art and magic, a podcast where we connect all things practical, magical, and really real when it comes to walking the artist path. I'm your host, Devin Walls, painter, mentor, and dreamer. Thank you so much for being here. Now, let's get into today's episode. Hi, guys. How you doing? We are back, and we've got a killer episode for you today. I usually ramble in the intro for a little bit, um, but today I'm not going to do that except for one very brief announcement. And this announcement is something that I've meant to put in the past two intros, but have forgotten. (laughs) So here it is. Um, Art and Magic officially has its own Instagram page. Yay! Uh, And it's separate from the Devin Walls art. That's my art page, Instagram. And I did this for a handful of reasons. Um, Mainly, I'm really excited to have a dedicated space to talk about the show, different topics, provide resources, um, share art that I'm into and who I'm following, and also um, share more of the art of the artists who are on the show. So look us up at Art and Magic Podcast and give us a follow. That would mean the world to me. It's always kind of awkward starting up a new page. But I have a really good feeling about what I'm going to be able to do with the new space, and I'm excited about it. Okay, let's get into today's interview. Our guest of honor is the fabulous Rachel Burke of iMixedagram. And this is somebody who I was very excited and a little surprised when she said yes to coming on the show. I have really marveled at her designs and her brand for quite some time. And the main question that has come up for me in following along with her is like, how did this person create this world? Where did it come from? And how did she turn it into her business? If you don't already follow her, I highly recommend going and checking out her page really quickly because I think you'll see what I mean here. So in this conversation, she does walk us through, you know, where her designs come from and a lot about how she took the leap from her full-time job into the business that she has now. So if you're in that place of like really wanting to switch over and quit your day job, um, make your part-time gig your full-time gig, I think you're going to find a lot of resonance in Rachel's story. I also felt like this was an extra fun conversation because Rachel gives us a peek into the world of fashion design. And I don't know about you, but that to me is a world that I just look out from the outside going, that's so pretty, that's so glamorous, but I don't really know anything about how it works um, or what it would look like to be an artist who's also a fashion designer as Rachel is. So there's a lot of really cool crossover and things that come up that I wouldn't have thought of because it just hasn't been my journey. And you know, on the flip side of that note, Rachel was very cool and open about what it's been like for her now diving into creating paintings, which we talk about at the end of the episode. And I know that all of the painters here are going to really appreciate 
about what she shares in terms of her like mental emotional process and why that's been different than designing um, the jackets. And the last thing I want to touch on before you dive into our conversation is just how much I appreciate that Rachel really has put her joy first in everything that she's done from what she's made to how she's navigated her career and that just felt like a theme as I re-listened to the interview. Like every step of the way, there's this theme of like, yeah, I have to follow my joy. I have to follow what I care about and what's important to me. And I have to represent that in the best possible way. And that's something that I really respect. And I think 1000% shows in her work, which is very cool to see. Okay, so if you don't already know her, Rachel Burke is a practicing multidisciplinary artist, designer, and author based in Brisbane, Australia. Known for her vibrant tactile designs and wild tinsel creations, Rachel's style is immediately recognizable and sought out by clients across the globe. Her work has been acquired by notable performers and artists, including Miley Cyrus, Keisha, Mindy Colling, and RuPaul's Drag Race stars. Hello. Amazing. Um, she has also worked on many creative collaborations with numerous brands, including Disney, Lego, Sephora, Visa, and many more. So without further ado, I give you my conversation with Rachel. All right. So your work sparks so much joy and it's so clearly you that when one stumbles upon your page and your website, you just can't help but wonder, like, how did this all start? So can you tell us a little bit um, just about your journey and in working with all these fun materials and designing these jackets and um, yeah, how, how you got to where you are a little bit. Yeah, sure. Well, it's been like a, a relatively like natural and kind of slow progression, I guess. Um, I've kind of been properly making and designing and being crafty probably for the last 10 years. Um, growing up, I was like, a little bit into this sort of stuff, but not obviously to the extent that um, I've gotten to now. Um, I was a classic university dropout in 2010 or 11. Um, and I was uh, just kind of like looking for something new to occupy my passions, which had previously been taken up by like musical theater, intense love. Um, and uh, ever since just been going on like this journey of experimenting I guess with lots of different materials often trying to hide the fact that I wasn't a very good sewer mm. <laughs> um, and also just like just I had such an affinity and I was really naturally drawn to these crafty things like pom-poms and um, very tactile materials um, and anything that has that kind of sense of the past, um, whether it's my own past or um, a sense of nostalgia from like the 60s and 70s um, sort of craft-based design. Um, and a lot of that stemmed from discovering Frankie magazine and just feeling like um, that periodical really captured my own sense of um, wonder. Uh, and then I got involved with them as well. And that kind of just continued to spur this love. And it's just been a real journey of working across so many mediums over the last 10 years, I think in part because I just can't decide what I love most. So I try and 
play in this world of art and design. Um, and in so doing, I developed tinsel jackets, but also side by side, I ended up working as a commercial fashion designer for seven years um, and uh, played in those worlds as well and eventually left. And I've been on my own for the last, uh, on my own uh, professionally. Um, for the last few years of working on just tinsel jackets, which is crazy because that's never a direction I thought I would go in. Uh, and in turn, I'm also obviously working on a whole bunch of other things now, like my own art practice. And it's it's a bit messy, really. There's just so many threads, but it did progress very naturally in terms of I just kind of followed the path of whatever took my interest at the time. And I guess it kind of paid off because I just really tried to have tunnel vision and focus on what I loved um, and thereby I guess I carved out a little bit of a niche for myself um, yeah it's a bit waffly does that yeah. explain yeah <laughs> no totally no that totally gives us some stuff to to bite into um, yeah. and it's so true I'm, I love what you said about um, that sense of nostalgia because I hadn't been able to name it but I think that is part of the joy that comes from your work it's like oh I recognize this I've played with this I've, yeah. I've seen this but this is in such a, a glamorous like fresh way um, that totally feels like it's part of it so take me back to maybe when you first started selling um, like how did this go from just something you loved and you were indulging in to something a little bit more professional. Yeah, sure. It, it was a very much like a classic fake it till you make it style situation. I started um, just like tinkering around with op shop clothes and things like that and wasn't selling anything. Um, and I started making like, gosh, back in, I think, yeah, it must've been around 2010, 2011, those head flower crowns and headbands. Mm like a real moment so mm -hmm. I started making them just out of some fake flowers from the bargain store and I must have been wearing one into a little boutique that I uh, frequented here in Brisbane and um, the store owner asked me if I uh, like where I got it because he wanted to sell some and I said that I made it and he was like do you have more and I was like yes yes I have more <laughs> Uh, and also I was pretty destitute at that time. Like I uh, had dropped out of uni and I, I was only working very part-time in retail. So when he, um, he was like, yeah, do you have more? Would you sell them? I was like, yes, I absolutely do. So I like rushed home and I just, um, you know, got all my supplies and I made them all up and took them in the next day, did like a, a long night of making and they all sold out over the weekend. Um, so he wanted more. And then he was like, do you have any clothes? And I was like, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and because I'd been thinking around these op shop things and stuff. Um, uh, I was like, yeah, this is, this is what I've got. And I made some extra things as well. I think I probably was like, I'll bring them in in a week. I'll just uh, finish them off, which <laughs> I'll just go and make all these things. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that was a good example, I guess, of just like kind of seizing the day with opportunity in part due to desperation because I was like something needs to take off here or something needs to occupy my time. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, like I, I was just super lucky that the they sold. And it, it just, from there, I think there was a little bit of a healthy competition between this boutique and another boutique. And I think them stocking my stuff and obviously it was doing quite well. Um, piqued their interest and this happened this other boutique happened to be something that I a store that I loved even more than the stockist mm. that was stocking me. Um, and they ended up getting in touch with me and asked me for my lookbook and at that time I didn't even know what a lookbook was uh, so I googled it and I was like oh it's like a collection of images of your garments um, 
And then of course I classic again, faked it. I was like, yes, I will get you my lookbook. So I, um, I staged like a photo shoot in the park and just with some friends and, um, and did this whole like editorial shoot. And it's a crazy shoot as well, because, um, the girl who photographed it, I've continued shooting with her for the last 10 years. And she is phenomenal. Like she's just gotten insanely, her work is just amazing. Um, so we've, uh, continued to work together and that still remains one of my like favorite editorials that I did, but it was all just like learning on the fly. Absolutely. And then I, I ended up selling, oh gosh, this is a cool little moment. I like took that collection into this boutique that I really liked and um, expecting them to just choose like a couple of pieces from what I'd made. And they were like, okay, cool. Like we'll just take the whole collection. Oh, I cool. Like, I was like, oh my God. And um, <laughs> I just remember every step of the way back then just being so shook to my core. And I think that collection of like, I think it was like 15 pieces they sold for like $3,000 or something. And I was like, that was more money than I had ever had in my whole life. Because mm. <laughs> I'm just such a spendthrift as well. Like any money I made, I immediately spent on, you know, a cute dress or, or food <laughs> or something um, stupid. And uh, not the food stupid, but I mean like junk food. Probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so I was just like so stoked. And then ever since then, I got into this good pattern of just kind of like reinvesting into myself as I went along. So I used that money to buy fabric for the next collection and maybe do a better photo shoot and pay some models and do all this stuff. And uh, eventually that boutique hired me as their designer um, and then I ended up getting um, approached by a really big retailer here in Brisbane. I went to work for them. But then that was really great experience because it just taught me that I didn't want to actually, I like totally stumbled into the fast fashion industry. I had no idea mm. what that was all about. And um, I learned so much though in the process and, and learned really how to look at things as a, as a product developer, as a commercial designer and the serious lens of things. Uh, and then also really value realize valuably realized I didn't want to remain in that industry, um, that I wanted to, um, keep my own practice alive. And, um, and that's why I went out on my own, but I, I absolutely wouldn't discount all those lessons that I learned along the way, because I think it helped me to, um, create in the end, uh, how do I say it? I guess like, um, a more professional footprint to the kind of craft work that I do I guess like I approach still like the everything I photograph with like a um, editorial lens and I, I, I try and product develop my own work as much as possible to make it as as good as possible whether that's just how I'm constructing the tinsel jackets um, or um, seeing opportunities in in the things that I make to take them to the next level. Um, and I think those lessons came from actually working in the industry, but it, it all happened just very like one step at a time. It was certainly not like a overnight sort of thing. It was just, and it was so much hard work too, because when I started um, actually making things and selling them to the boutiques, I was making everything and just sewing in the garage to like mm. four a.m. Um, and back in those days, I could then obviously sleep till 1 p.m., but I would just like crank out the work. Um, but it was an excellent lesson too into how things are made and um, the labor involved, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for sharing all that. What a cool story. Um, I love how that all rooted from like you just like innocently wearing your headband into a store on your on your day to day. Be your own best advertising as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, something I've told. This is just kind of a side note. Some of my students around 
like, oh, how do I start, you know, telling people I'm an artist? I'm like, go wear your paint clothes to the grocery store. I guarantee somebody, like when you check out, they're going to be like, oh, are you a, are you a house painter or a craft teacher? And that's your opportunity to say like, no, I'm an artist. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why social media is such an amazing tool as well and has made me feel like more and more empowered over the years of just being like your own best model. It's like, you don't have to fit any kind of stereotype anymore. Like, like the best thing is just being an individual and being yourself and embracing that and you really then are your best poster child because you're if you're creating work that is inherently you you're going to display it the best because it's you um so i find that quite empowering and um which is why i don't care about you know taking funny photos of myself looking all serious in my clothes because i'm like it's all an extension of myself <laughs> yeah well uh, everything you know, it's so it's such a good point you brought up about um, your eye for editorial and the branding and all of that, um, because that really is is part of it. It's part of what communicates what you make. Is like, are those photos of yourself in your jackets? And um, yeah, I really see how that how that comes through. Yeah, and I guess a little um, side note to also working in the industry too, because I ended up working as a freelancer for Frankie Magazine doing, uh, do you know that magazine? Um, I don't, I feel like I've it's seen it passed around. So, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think you would really love it, but okay. um, it's, uh, like it's got a big focus on craft and art and design, and I used okay. to when when borders the bookstore was a thing um i used to work work there and i first discovered frankie and it it just like totally spoke to uh, my sensibilities i guess and i'd never seen anything like it um and it was such a pinch me moment when maybe fast forward like five years they called me out of the blue and just asked if i wanted to start doing their fashion editorial and that was just such a learning curve because i saw then in the process of working with their photographers and also just working to their expectations, how meticulous everything needed to be, mm. looking for minor details. And those, again, are lessons that I just like make sure I like, I just accidentally now incorporate into everything that I do because I, I, I saw them to be valuable lessons because I, I loved the results, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. This might be kind of a hard question, but I'm curious you know, for somebody who hasn't had that experience, but they want to bring that level of professionalism to how they're showcasing their art, are there like some key tips that you could maybe distill down for us or even how to go about, um, yeah, starting to bring that kind of eye into, into yeah, the way you're sure. photographing? Sure. Well, I would, I would just say like, I mean, the internet is the best resource. I'm constantly still like, you know, watching YouTube videos about photography, watching things, trying to like upskill in whatever way I can. So for starters, like if there is something you want to learn, even if it is just iPhone photography, just Google it or go to Skillshare or something mm. like that. And don't be afraid to to just embrace that kind of learning, I guess. Um, but in terms of just like basic tips I could offer, I would say like embrace natural light, mm. like um, try make things look too artificial if that's not you I think particularly with social media like people love like you know organic content as you know cliches it sound now that it's the most popular because it's the most natural so I I'm drawn mainly to things like natural light um not being afraid yet to don't like airbrush yourself like mm. crazy it's going to use yourself as a model and things like that um try and focus on creating um 
I guess, a story of you through all the images that you, you create. And I think that with, if we're talking about social media, and even if you're putting together a showcase of your work, I think it's about, yeah, telling a story. So not just focusing all on product or all on, you know, just the work that you produce, try and show a little bit of the behind the scenes, the story of how things are being produced, a glimpse into the visual diary and the process, because like it's all pieces of a pie that make up the whole. Um, And I feel like people are really savvy too. Like they know when they're just being sold to, or they they know when the heart's not there um, or if it's too contrived. And again, my biggest tip as well, though, to any content that's being created or any photos of your work or anything is to try and stick to what you like try and cater to your tastes Mm. um, and be really true to that instead of trying to recreate someone else's image or what you think people want to see like there's just so much out there now there's no point creating content that looks like something else like it's just going to slip into into the universe of pinterest you know like um there's just so much out there. I think to stand out now, you've just got to have tunnel vision and try and produce something that you're happy with at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, That's great advice. I love the piece about, about the storytelling that really, um, yeah, that really hits. I'm really, I'm really vibing storytelling at the moment. I'm starting to like step into video. uh, Yeah. Yeah. And it's like making me think so much more about like the mechanics of storytelling. And, and I guess like, and even with editorial and stuff like that, I think that the best editorials like are telling a story, even if it's just you that knows the narrative. Um, I think that that just gives some your work like an edge. If you're mm. like, you know, using the faraway tree or something as the inspiration for your photo shoot. And that, that way you can like always give the models direction or I don't know. I just think that grounding your work um, in a story or something people really connect with narrative and they connect with storytelling. And I just think that uh, it it can be a really great way to explore um, and create images and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I love that. Uh, Yeah. It has me thinking about future things for myself. Um, Oh, good. (laughs) So, okay. I kind of want to go back a little bit to like your story and evolution. So you um, got a job, you said with, you got in the world of like fast fashion. I forget what you said the job title was that you held, but you went on full-time for another like designer or company. Uh, yeah. So it was, um, a boutique called Princess Polly. I started off as a women's wear designer. So, um, I started, actually started them an in-house brand. Um, and then I was just doing all the designs for all these like really cute dresses and outfits and things like that. Um, and then I got approached by a much more like commercial streetwear brand here in Australia called Universal Store. And, um, and then I, I was a women's wear designer and eventually uh, became senior designer and, and managed the team. Okay. Yeah. So while you were doing that, were you still working like on your own quote unquote business or brand on the side? Yes, absolutely. Like I very quickly realized that, um, that my day job was going to give me that stability. It was going to allow me to move out of home at the time. It was going to give me that kind of reliable paycheck, but I knew that it wasn't going, like I I quickly realized that it wasn't going to feed uh, my artistic sensibilities because when you're a women's wear designer for a brand, your job is no longer just to tickle your own fancy. It's Mm. like to service 
their customer. It's not about you anymore. Um, certainly it's about like bringing elements of your design sensibility to things, but it's like solving a riddle of someone you've never met, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and trying to find out what they want. And it, um, and so I was very much about, I like keeping my aesthetic alive at home. Uh, because I was like, if I just go down this one path, like, sure, I, I might end up um, as a, I don't know, fancy senior designer somewhere else. But I, I feel like I would just disappear into that corporate world and, and not keep my own thing alive. And I had just worked too hard on it by that point that I, I couldn't let it go. And I also, you, you mentioned joy earlier on. I got, I got this sense of joy from making. I find mm-hmm. making really relaxing and cathartic. And um, I guess like that's also how I, I deal with like stresses and things. So if work was stressful, I would come home and I would feel better by like making a pom-pom or um <laughs> like I was achieving something of of my own and it was really great too because my work is so zany I guess it never um towed like got super intense with like a conflict of interest or anything because it was more in the realm of costume mm. um that that is what holds back a lot of co- commercial designers who want to pursue their own work um unless they're going to quickly transition after they leave their job into doing their own thing you you can't really launch a brand while you're working for a brand because it's just you know you get all the inside information and it's it's basically illegal to then go and apply Mm -hmm. that or your own work uh, particularly if you have non-competes etc in your contract so uh, I kind of flew under the radar with that because I didn't really um, uh, compete, I guess, because I was what I was doing was so left of field to what I was working on. So I, I guess I felt like I was very much playing in two worlds and I, I relished that at the time because I felt like I had um, an escape almost from that commercial, it felt like drudgery in the end, I'll be honest, mm-hmm. you know, just like trying to design to a formula and all that sort of stuff for the bottom line. Um, I would then love going home and just being like, okay, I'm going to make whatever I want. And there was no pressure on that work either. It was purely for enjoyment. And it was only after posting things online and people wanted to uh, buy them that things started to amp up. And that's when I got not in trouble at work, but it was a stern conversation of maybe you should choose between your babies. Mm. And I was like, well, it's time for me to go then. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I'm definitely not leaving my awesome tinsel jackets behind. Yeah, so. yeah. And, and it, like, it was really difficult decision though, because they made a very compelling offer. Like it, it was really lovely. I mean, we ended on such good terms, the place that I last worked at. Um, and they made a very compelling play for like a, a potential future with that business and um you know the the growth opportunities were very enticing but at the end of the day I was like this is my life like you only get one shot am I just like what what is the joy that I'm following here and um and luckily enough I'd started to sell some like decent volume of things that I was doing um independently so I was like if not now when like I I just Mm. need to go and yeah. and it felt really empowering again to like make a hard choice and, and choose myself um, and and have that confidence in what I was doing and also reminding myself that like no one could ever take that experience away from me and ultimately if everything went to the crapper <laughs> I could um, I could always go back into that industry even though I, I didn't want to but it was like if you know I needed to um, make some moolah again one day it's not like my resume was just going to be um, finished. It, it, right. I could go back and I could just take that opportunity to give it a go. 
and thankfully it's to this so far it's worked out, which is lovely. Yeah. So I'm so curious about, I, I know that at some point in time, your work started getting in the hands of like some really big celebrities like Megan Trainer and Drew Barrymore. Um, and so I'm wondering how those things kind of happened and if that was just like, oh, they organically found your Etsy shop or one celebrity told another celebrity. Can you yeah, speak yeah. I'm to that? Actually, I will say I'm not sure about Megan Trainer. A couple of people have mentioned her, but I'm like, I don't know if I, she actually has anything. It was Kesha that was the big one. Oh, okay. Um, but, but I, because I, someone else mentioned Megan Trainer that I was like, did I? I don't know. I don't know about that. Okay. <laughs> so I really for Megan Trainer, but definitely Kesha um, and Drew Barrymore and um, Mindy Kaling and mm. Beyonce's daughter, like RuPaul's Drag Race peeps. Like it's yeah. been wild. And it's just again like the power of the internet, which is just why like if you just do you, like you never know who's looking at your page. Like it's just mm. bananas. Who've slid into my DMs? That's the other advice. Check your DMs because <laughs> you never know um, who's getting in touch with you. I feel like people contact you more via DM than than email these days, and um, it's just by that medium. Sometimes it'll come directly from the artist. Most often through the stylist. Like stylist of Miley Cyrus got in touch with me and wanted me to make her a tinsel chair. Like wow. it's just all off off that platform. And I guess, um, and again, I guess that speaks to the power of creating something that stands out in that explore feed. And then um, I guess like people, people want it. And by that same notion, like, they like don't also be afraid to say no sometimes as well mm. like sometimes um sometimes the the ask or the the brand or something that reach out to you might not feel right and I would also say to follow that that intuition as well um because if you get to a certain uh peak with your with your work too it can sometimes feel like just like everyone wants it and if you're a one-man band it can it can be it can be difficult. I mean, that's a good position to be in, I guess, but also you've, you've got to navigate the waters of, of everyone wanting the thing sometimes. And that, and that can be difficult just for burnout and stuff like that. But basically it's very exciting when a fancy person wants something that you've made. It can't like, obviously it feels good for the old ego, but that yeah. being said, I also love just making things for people's weddings and birthdays. It, I feel like super like, you know, it sounds cheesy, but like honored when someone wants to wear something to their wedding or a special yeah. celebration. And like, Oh, that's, that's an awesome like memento, I guess. Um, yeah. And I love my, for my friends' birthdays, like I um, make them in their birthstone colors um, when my friends have a birthday, and uh, I I love that they then keep them and like hang them on the wall and stuff. And it, yeah, lovely. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's amazing. I love the birthstones. <laughs> my first thought was, I was like, man, you must have a line of people wanting to be your friend. <laughs> um, I'm curious actually about that conversation around saying no and. Um, like a little bit more of what that's looked like for you. Have you had just like a celebrity that wants a high demand of something that you're just not able to provide? Um, what are the kinds uh, of things you've I, navigated? Um, I definitely navigated things like if I've, you know, if particularly if a brand reaches out to me and wants to collaborate and I just don't feel like their values or their, even mm. just their aesthetic just doesn't match up even if they're offering like a juicy fee or something like that like I can't in good conscience do it and I won't mm. um so uh that's where I draw the line if I just straight up I'm like you know what we just don't align and mm. I, I don't want to do that obviously that comes with a sense of luxury like if you can't say no to something because right. you 
you don't need you don't you know immediately need that work or something um that that well that, that's a good position to be in however it can be difficult because I am an absolute desperate people pleaser and I find it really hard to say no. Um, but, uh, and also it's hard to, to say no to things like expanding as well, because like um, I am just a one man band and the demand for tinsel jackets is strong. And sometimes it can feel like, Oh, should I start getting these made somewhere or et cetera, et cetera. But I really just try and hold on to the idea that, how many I can make is how many I want to make that to me, they are an extension kind of like of my art practice. Um, there also doesn't need to be a hundred thousand tinsel jackets in the world. Like, mm-hmm. um, I like the idea that it's capped as w- to what I can do. And that's mm-hmm. all stuff I've had to come to because it is this fine line of knowing like what just feels right to you and, and what things can look like when you expand and, um, Oh, just like so many questions about that sort of stuff. Um, I don't think there's been too many celebrities that have contacted me that I've had to like shut down or anything. <laughs> I, I've been lucky that people who reach out are you like celeb wise are usually pretty um, on the same mood board as as my work, which is fine. Yeah, but I will say that I've definitely said no to brands when um, mm. because people love a collab, and I guess some just don't make sense, and I, I'm I'm really. Uh, hard and fast about saying no if I think that we we don't line up and I never want it to become one of those Instagram feeds anyway that is just like cranking out weird advertisements for tea and things like that so yeah, yeah. Um, if it comes with a good uh, paycheck I'm like at what cost truly though it's yeah. like pay in other ways I feel um, if you compromise your your um, values for that sort of stuff so um, and I think that's just also navigating and developing a sense of artistic integrity as you go along um and that just comes with time and learning too and sometimes it comes by learning by taking on a client that after you do the work you're like oh I didn't like how that felt like I feel like that that work wasn't true to me and sometimes you just have to learn that way but then you have to decide the next time not to do that um Mm -hmm. and translate that learning into um into an outcome because uh there will be a lot of you know, times that you get it wrong. <laughs> yeah. And just have to learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So on the, fl- it's kind of like the flip side of that question, mm-hmm. you know, you've also, aside from, you know, getting like having these amazing celebrities where you work, I also know you've done like really amazing installations and had some cool opportunities. So out of maybe a lot of the things you've done, do you have like a favorite project? Like something that was the most fun and exciting that's come about? Uh, yeah, totally. I would have to say, like, hands down, working with Disney last year for their I little saw moment. That. Yeah, um, celebration was a huge, like, pinch me, I'm dying moment. It was so good. It was just so amazing to work with them. It was like a full childhood dream come true because I loved mm. growing up. And when they they reached out to me, I think I was at some gnarly shopping center here in Brisbane. I opened the email and I was like, "What is this like contrast of this moment?" I don't. <laughs> I don't um and it was awesome because they gave me such autonomy with what I created and um I did I ended up doing this big install in Melbourne um of like a big like tinsel hanging and then got to display all the garments that I made and um and then it was it was just a total dream and I, I I love those projects where I get to merge my design aesthetic 
with um, with theirs. And I love seeing like what can be created by that kind of fusion. And um, and again, that storytelling because I'm like, yes, give me give me the Little Mermaid. And right now I'm working with Lego. I'm like, give me Lego. Like, yeah, that's been super cool too. Yeah, yeah, weird direction. Like we can take this in because um, that's a thing. Like my design aesthetic. Like I mean, it's probably not everyone's cup of tea, but it's like it's kind of weird. So I guess like merging it with like a story everyone knows or with a product everyone knows, like it's just cool to see what can be created because maybe it's a little bit unexpected, the results and stuff like that. Um, and often I don't know what the heck I'm going to do, but then when I sit out and nut it out, it, it starts to feel like a bit like it'll magically kind of comes together. And these ideas just are born of the, the fusion of those two things, which is why I love working with um, collaborators so much because I think that, um, yeah, that sense of story just comes to life by merging the two things together. Um, yeah. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. I love that. So with the little mermaid, I saw you kind of designed like her, her fin and her outfit. And then um, what was the actual project? Like they were yeah, so honoring they, like her 30th birthday or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the 30th anniversary of the film being released and they just asked mm. me to um, create a capsule collection inspired by the film. So okay. I 10 pieces um that were all handmade uh inspired by the film um and I did a whole bunch of very like detailed sketches and things um and then they were they wanted them to be displayed at Hamer Hall in Melbourne because the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra were Mm. going to play along with the film uh and we also made like a short film that was um played just before the symphony started playing which is awesome of like the process of how everything came to life and then I did a big installation as well at Hamer Hall of like this big tinsel lagoon which was really cool Um, so cool uh, yeah yes so that was the project and um and I think that we did a couple of other things as well but that that was the crux of it and uh and I made a bunch of accessories and things so uh so it was just such an awesome fun project because it was like what a what a dream job that was to just kind of be like given this brief and told to just explore in your own aesthetic, the story of the little mermaid. Um, and, and it was really fun, uh, but also difficult. Cause I was like, how do I, how do I do this justice? I guess. Mm. Um, and, uh, but it, it all comes together. I'd also just had a baby at that time. So it was quite full on. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Don't you love that when like a really uh, exciting request <laughs> comes in at the busiest time of your life? Oh my God. That is the story of my life. Absolutely. But I was like, this is Disney. I can't say no. I just have to do it. So yeah. yeah. So I'm curious, um, in all of these like opportunities and, and really fun collaborations, are these people always reaching out to you or do you ever see something or someone or a brand you want to work with and then you reach out to them or have you kind of just been on the receiving end? Look, from my early days of um, being in my garage and sewing and reaching out to 10,000 people trying to let them know that I existed, (laughs) I have learned that when the time is right, the big clients will come to you. Like you Mm. can't, well, I don't know if you can, maybe you can, but seemingly from when I did it and you know, you, you email disney.com, you know, <laughs> it's like, you don't get a result, but it's like that classic thing when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Mm. Like it does feel like that because I remember, you know, even Frankie magazine, I keep mentioning them, but like, I remember emailing them my work very early on and I, I just never, ever heard back. I think I even sent them like packs of like, you know, my lookbook and all this stuff. Mm. And yet 
when they finally came to me, it was because my work was just ready um, and it was aligned and that sort of thing. And I think that was a really valuable lesson. Um, and it's the same with all these big clients. I, I don't approach people usually because I've got now too much work going on that I'm like, uh, uh, like if I, if I have time now to approach clients, I'll probably just want to do my own personal work um yeah so and i figure that those you know dream clients that i might have in my mind i'm like if i produce the i just have faith that if i produce the work eventually they'll come if i've created the right work um and i like that thinking because it just then i always just try and focus at the end of the day on the work and i'm like if you yeah. produce good work the opportunities will come um, and just have faith in that to focus on actually the heart of what you're actually doing. Cause if you get too caught up in, in catching that big client as well, it's like, well, are you making work for them or are you making work for yourself? Like just mm -hmm. keep making work for yourself and then the right things will come because you, you like the work you're making. Otherwise you can get stuck in a loop too of creating work that maybe you're not fully um, keen on maybe even as well. If that makes yeah. sense. No, it makes total sense. I love that perspective. And yeah, I was just even thinking too, you know, all the the magic you've put into like the editorial aspect of, of your brand and stuff. It's like, you know, you've put all of your energy into the product and, and the presentation and that's yeah. what has like brought everything in and time that maybe you could have chosen to send a ton of emails like it sounds like you did at one time it's like yeah. almost more productive for you to just like reinvest that energy into what yeah, you're absolutely all that because yeah and I often have heard on podcasts you know they're like you know get all your work out there contact all these people like door knock sort of thing and I'm just like or just spend that time making really good work like mm -hmm. and, and developing your practice like I I and absolutely showcase it but use Instagram use your social media platforms focus on times to like invest into yourself and to to doing the work that's actually going to get you noticed like I remember a, a lofty goal of mine back in the day was like I was like oh I'd love to do a TED talk how good would that be but I was like I had nothing to do a TED talk on um <laughs> and I eventually like you know developed this project and all and I probably like emailed a pitch back in the day like I'm very like on I was very hot on the email uh, <laughs> back in the day uh and then um fast forward like seven years or whatever I had actually come up with a project and I got asked to do a TED talk and it was a good lesson being like hey like if you do the work and you have a reason to get these opportunities well then that you will get them um if the work is good obviously um yeah. and obviously good work is subjective um but uh yeah totally yeah yeah thank you for sharing all of that I love that um so I also want to pivot for a second and talk about the painting exhibition you have coming up. Um, I think you mentioned that this will be the first time you're showcasing a, a series of paintings. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So that's coming up in November. Um, and I, it's definitely the thing I feel most nervous about that I'm working mm. on. I don't know. What is it about painting that just... and putting the things on a canvas that feels so much more frightening than putting them on clothes. And, yeah. And tell me about it. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, uh, yeah. I feel like it's quite exposing and, and so much of it feels like your skill is going to be judged, I guess, when I'm like, also in my mind, I'm like, I have no painting skills, but it's not about that. It's about, you know, making your mark and, or it's about whatever you want it to be, I guess. Yeah. Uh, constant loop of like questioning the work. Uh, it's, it's challenging. 
is challenging, but I'm excited about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for naming all of that for some reason. Yeah. Um, like hearing you say that and, and it's like, you're just like beaming with like color and creativity and ideas. And it's like, well, the paintings are making me kind of nervous. Yeah. Um, they are nerve wracking. And I feel yeah. like the, the infinite possibilities are like, is, can feel oppressive sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like I can do anything. So why can't I do something good? And then you're like, but what is good? Like, and yeah. it's following a, a theme of uh, like the, the body of work is like following a, a particular um, exploration of things, obviously. Um, and I guess that gives parameters, but then it's like also not because no one's telling you what colors to use, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it's very meditative too. And it, yeah, it's just a whole nother part of your brain, right? Um, that you're tapping into, I guess. But yeah, something about canvas and paper is just so much more challenging, but it's like a riddle. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's funny. I'm like, well, now I need to try my hand at making clothes and see if it's much easier. (laughs) (laughs) Not that it's easier, but. It just feels like uh, the the stakes are lower. Um, Yeah, right. So what, um, what brought this on? Like, uh, what what inspired you to to switch up your medium and and want to tackle doing um, a series of paintings? Well, I guess like I I've, I've like dabbled in like painting and and very like abstracty kind of drawings and things for a long time. That's probably actually the thing I've done the longest a long way. Like I always keep visual diaries, mm. um, and I've always tinkered around. I guess, but I've never really. Um, yeah, I've just not, not shown them. I don't know. I, I've always seen them as like diary reflective things, things that like progress my thinking and uh, background things um, as opposed to being in the foreground. So, and then like as, as and I, I guess I've shared some things a little bit behind the scenes in my Instagram stories and stuff of just like scribbling away. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe even, uh, I guess some of my thinking maybe has been like, oh, they're not good enough, I guess, to be, um, to be actually like the focus. Um, but, uh, like as fate would have it, I went and did a, um, a panel talk last year at Carriage Works in Sydney. Um, and the people who were hosting the panel, it was just so, it was like quite fatey, um, really, because, um, the, the panel was about, it was called Colour is Your Superpower. And I felt like so, like it, it sounds now, I felt like really honoured to be on the panel because one of my favourite painters, Ken Doan, was on the panel as well. And he he was so inspiring with how he talks about painting and colour. Um, and then the people who had, the gallery that had put that panel together um, said to me that they had been seeing these behind the, th- the scenes works on my Instagram and would I send them some images of what I'd been working on um, so that maybe we could do a show together. And um, I was like, you know, I was also like classic, like rewind to my energy with the headbands of like, why, yes, I have a body of work. One <laughs> time to like polish everything up. <laughs> um, so I sent them through seven. We just like, they were like, yeah, let's do it. Let's put on a show. Um, so we've been developing um, this show, which hopefully, you know, COVID permitting, uh, we'll mm. go ahead. November um and uh and the idea and the premise for the the show is something that's been stewing in my head for so many years so it feels like it's all coming together um and video will play a part of it in it as well um which is something I'm super getting into at the moment too and um 
yeah, it was just such luck, really. That that was a lucky kind of connection, I guess. But also, came, you know, came out of hard work of actually um, doing the work to get on the panel, I guess. But it was, it was lucky, I guess, that I shown some little behind the scenes things um, that someone took notice, I guess. Um, and then that gave me, I guess, also the confidence to be like, oh, well, if a gallery, like, not that it's all about the galleries, but if some professionals maybe like what I'm doing, maybe I can do this. Um, and I love a challenge, you know? Um, so I was like, I'm just going to do it. And I'm going to try and approach it with that same sense of blind confidence that I have about everything else I do. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what's the worst that can happen at the end of the day? You know, I get a bad review. At least I'm getting a review. How stunning. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I personally, well, A, I can't wait to see the paintings, but also oh, I'm, God, I hope they're okay. <laughs> I'm, I love the scribbles, first of all, well, quote unquote scribbles. I think that they're great. And, um, I am, I have no doubt that the paintings are going to be lovely, but I'm even kind of envisioning, you know, after this, even a couple years down the line, like how maybe that display of like paintings could even incorporate some of the other materials you typically use and just some cool mixed media stuff. I don't know. I, I yeah, see some. Well, I some love mixed. That's the thing that the paintings are still like, I'm working on some like, uh, uh, as well, just like really big sheets of paper as well with mixed media and stuff on them. I don't know if they'll make it to the final thing, but they're like um, works in progress, but there's something about the mixed media that I love because I'm so tactile mm-hmm. and like I've made you know, like canvases of tinsel before and stuff like that. It just like really speaks to me. That's why I find painting so challenging as well. If it is just paint, because it's so flat, I think. Mm -hmm. I love texture and texture and tactile and clashy, clashy that the, the paint alone makes me feel like there needs to be more and stopping. Mm. Uh, But I've also been doing this um, ever since isolation started this like daily zine practice, which I found really helpful in like loosening up I don't know, and like experimenting with different mixed media and colors and, and um, I'll make like a little daily zine booklet and it'll just, a lot of them just have like color experiments and stuff like that. And now that I've started, I'm like, maybe I'm going to make a zine a day for the rest of my life. That would be a fun position <laughs> one day. <laughs> That's um, a big ask for myself. <laughs> no, um, I love that. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I can't wait to see what, what comes out of this. I'll definitely, uh, I'll definitely be keeping an eye. Um, Watch this back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so we're kind of coming to the end here, but before we fully wrap up, I have um, a couple like little rapid fire questions if you're up for it. Yeah, sure. Okay, so these are all finish the sentence. So the first sentence is if someone really knew me, they would know. Oh gosh, if someone knew me, they would know that. <laughs> that I'm not a morning person. <laughs> and I For all of y'all listening, <laughs> yeah. even though you are having this conversation at eight thirty in, in the, morning. the morning, unwillingly, <laughs> I blame the baby. <laughs> okay, the next one is art is uh, splendor. <laughs> mm, that's a good word. <laughs> Okay, I think next... it should be fun. Maybe some people think it should be super hard, but I think it should be fun. No, it should. Yeah, it should absolutely be fun. Yeah. If, yeah. Yes. A whole other conversation yeah. about people who think yeah, art yeah. needs to be super hard and serious, but I'm, I'm on board yeah. with you for sure. <laughs> <I think. laughs> um, okay. The next one is the color of my soul is. 
yellow. I know that Ooh. has come to my <laughs> my mind. Yellow. <laughs> I can see that. We have yet to have a yellow soul on the podcast. You are the first. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> yes. Okay. Cool. I love yellow. I don't know what it is about it. <laughs> no, I can totally see that for you. I love that. Um, okay. And the last one is I honor my art by doing it every day. Mm. Yeah. Love mm. that. Um, Rachel, where can we find you? And is there anything else you would like to direct our attention to in terms of what's coming up for you? Yeah, sure. You can find me at I'm Instagram on Instagram and uh, at shoprachelburke.com if you want to snaffle a tinsel treat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think that's about it. I mean, keep an eye out for my weird videos. I've really <laughs> really gotten into them at the moment. So that's I would say that's the thing I'm having the most fun with at the moment and a great way to procrastinate from my paintings, you know. <laughs> great. Yeah, you're getting two projects done at once. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. It's all feeding into the same universe. I have faith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much for being here and for sharing with us so generously. This has been really inspiring and um, I hope we get to connect soon. You too. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So thankful for Rachel coming on the show and sharing with us. Um, I hope you enjoyed learning about her story as much as I did. Please be sure to check out her work um, and her Instagram. Everything is linked up for you in the show notes. And while you're in the show notes, you could also head over to the new Art and Magic uh, Instagram page, as I was mentioning in the intro. Would love to connect with you over there, and that way you can stay in the loop about new episodes. Again, that handle is at Art and Magic Podcast. Another great way to stay in the loop for new episodes is to subscribe. That way you don't have to search us every time and new episodes will just magically appear in your queue. I also want to give a shout out to all the new reviews that have come through on the show. I check them often and every time there's a new one, it just literally makes me melt. Um, So thank you to those of you who have left them. Um, Sometimes the reviews are so kind and, and point out things that even I wouldn't have noticed about the show and that just feels really great. So thank you and please leave a rating or a review if you would also like to help get the show out to other artists like yourself. All right, that is a wrap for today's episode. I'm sending you guys lots of love and tons of magic until next time.